The Forum at 8 with Kolani Gwala. Six and a half after eight. Welcome to the Forum at 8 here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Well, this morning, looking at the issue of uh, minimum wage in this country. So many SMSs already have been sent through. I'm going to give you an idea of what people are saying in a minute uh, as soon as I'm able to open uh, my computer. Uh, but it obviously uh, appears as if it's, it's a very um, contested space, if you will. A lot of people have different views about how to deal with this issue. And in this country, though, enormous income gap between the lowest paid workers and top executives has become a major issue. Also the issue of poverty. Um, The debate continues then on whether the national minimum wage is desirable then. And if so, at what level should it be pegged? Kosatu wants government to legislate for a national minimum wage to be introduced by next year, 2014. Uh, But what we would like to talk about then this morning is whether or not the national minimum wage will be this great equalizer uh, that that other people, including Kosatu, are holding it up to be, or or will it simply, as the other side of the argument uh, goes, will it simply harm the much-needed economic growth, but also alienate entrepreneurs, businesses in this country? What are your thoughts then? We would like to hear from you. SMS me at 34701 34701 emails at guala Let me look at the SMSs before I introduce you to my guests uh, this morning. Uh, look at uh, available, in fact I've been reading a couple of emails here, uh, including from people such as Faisal and Mayfair who are saying well, it's all in good to introduce uh, the minimum wage and they support that but in the process then you may have to also scrap uh, affirmative action and uh, BEE because according to Faisal, he considers that to be racist policies. So uh, that's a view also being expressed on email. Uh, but we'll check the SMSs for you in a minute or two and then go to my guests also just to uh, find what their views are. By the way, we'll be taking your calls a little later on on the program at uh, 0891 Somebody says, minimum wage, we need a youth party in the country. Youths are the most forgotten part of society. Class struggle. That's an SMS from here in Johannesburg. Uh, also another one. Uh, that talks about this matter. It says uh, that minimum wage, the answer to address inequality that have uh, dismantled our country, that comes from Superman in Richards Bay. Uh, There's also somebody who says, I'm not really convinced that the minimum wage is the answer. The problem, I think, is the high wages that the managers are earning, uh, which pushes the price up and makes it difficult for those who earn less. Cut those big salaries and see if uh, it won't change. That's Naleli in Tinaja, who sent us that SMS. Um, minimum wage will affect small businesses, domestic workers, gardeners, etc. Uh, that Kosatu must think carefully about this. We're talking about Kosatu then uh, on the line this morning to talk to us about their suggestion is Neil Coleman. Neil Coleman is with Kosatu. Mr. Coleman, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for your time. I'm also joined on the other line by Trenton Elsley, who is the Executive Director of Labor Research Services. Mr. Elsley, hello. Good morning, Colin. Thank you. Nirin Rao is the Chief Executive Officer of the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Mr. Rao, good morning. Good morning, Good morning to you, listeners. Thank you. Uh, Nicolene Natras is Professor of Economics at the University of Cape Town. <laughs> Professor Natras, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for your time. Let me start with Mr. Coleman. Mr. Coleman, you made a presentation at COSATU's uh, bargaining, organizing and campaigns conference early last month. Yeah. Uh, just give me the key arguments that you were making. And, of course, you were making this in support of the, 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 the minimum wage. Well, Kalani, uh, you know, we, we, we've been looking at one of our key six partners, Brazil, because we're not theorizing about this issue. We're looking at what practically happened in, in Brazil around the national minimum wage. And just briefly, in seven years, from 2003 to 10, 
the Brazilians increased their national minimum wage by over 80% in real terms. Now, if you believe the conservative economists, that should have had a devastating impact on their employment. But what happened? Um, they created 17 million formal sector jobs between 2002 and 2011. They reduced poverty by 20 million. And two-thirds of the fall in inequality in Brazil was attributed to this increase in, 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 in wages. So they not only managed to massively reduce uh, poverty and inequality in the society, but they used the minimum wage and increased economic uh, consumption and development combined with their industrial policy to, to generate much greater um, uh, labor-intensive growth in the economy. And we believe that that can be done um, in, in South Africa, if we follow those, those, those examples. And the situation we confront in South Africa is that over half of South African workers live in poverty. And according to Stats South Africa, um, over half of South African workers earn below 3,100 rand a month in 2011, as opposed to a household subsistence level, which various uh, university institutions and the Labor Research Services have spoken about at being at, at the very minimum about 4,000 rand for a family of five. So you have the majority of South African workers working uh, hard and long hours, many of them, but still living in poverty, and that's an absolutely unacceptable situation. While, as your listeners were saying, you have these, uh, this, this huge disparity between those at the bottom and those at the top. So what we're really calling for is a national wage policy we don't see the, the national minimum wage as the only element of that policy, but it's a very important part of it because it sets a minimum wage floor, whereas currently we have many, many different minimum wages uh, set by sexual determinations, bargaining councils, etc., and, and many hundreds of thousands of workers not being covered by minimum wages at all. All right, but let me pick up on the last point that you're making because, again, people will say, well, because sectors... Uh, operate differently and are facing uh, a different set of circumstances, yes. whether it's input costs and so on, it's best that we keep it uh, within the sectoral determination level. Well, the, the point about a national minimum wage is it's not supposed to set the, the actual wage levels in different sectors. What it does is it creates a flaw. It's almost like a social protection measure. In Brazil, everybody in the country, regardless of which sector they work in, are entitled to a national minimum wage. The same thing is true in, in the USA and Australia and a number of other countries, in fact, the majority of countries in the world. And then what you have is sectoral bargaining, which, according to the conditions in the sectors and a number of other factors, set the actual wages above the level of the national minimum. And that's also done on a regional basis as well in a number of countries. Right, let me bring in my other guests then. Perhaps let me, say, let me bring you in, Mr. Rao, from the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Would this be acceptable to you? Well, I'll just confirm that uh, the, the timing of this discussion may not be appropriate. Given the economic circumstances that we face right now and the high levels of unemployment that we face, our focus needs to be on job creation initially. All right, Once Mr. Rao, sorry, let me interrupt you. Let me, let me interrupt you, Mr. Ra, because I'm, I'm, we're getting uh, terrible feedback. Let, let's try and sort out that line. We're going to go back to him in a minute. Uh, but let me see if the professor then agrees. Professor, Professor Natras, uh, again, what we're hearing from Mr. Coleman is that it is happening in Brazil, it is happening in the U.S., it is happening in many countries across the world. Why not in South Africa? Look, I think we could certainly have um, a national wages policy, and I think that a national minimum wage would be part of that. 
um, I think that that's all a good idea. But we've just got to be careful about thinking that the national minimum wage is economically costless if it's set at the wrong level. And I'd like to correct Mr. Coleman about Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brazil's minimum wage started to rise as the economy was booming and as it was heading towards full employment. So a lot of it was a natural rise anyway. And more importantly than that, the minimum wage was tied to an increase in social security. So it wasn't just the minimum wage that was rising. It was the wage for, you know, it was uh, what people were getting through um, grants and through Bolsa Familia and through pensions. All, you know, the national minimum in Brazil is tied to its social security system. So it wasn't just wage-led growth. It was government transfers to the people that was also driving demand. And I think if we did that in South Africa, it would be a lot better. I mean, the question is trying to get income into the hands of poor people, not simply using the wage as the instrument to do that. But But anyway, the the question really is the level at which we set that minimum, because Mm -hmm. if we destroy thousands of or or millions of jobs, we'll be shooting ourselves in the foot, obviously. But but is is that the trade-off? Is that what happens? If we raise the minimum wage, are we destroying thousands of jobs? It depends on the level, and it depends on the sector. So Mr. Coleman very sensibly said we should have a national minimum at a floor, and then the sector should decide. I agree. I mean, we've just got to be very careful about the floor. So, for example, we made a really big mistake, in my view, setting the agricultural minimum wage at its level, because instantly there were all these predictions we'd have thousands of job losses, at which point the minister then said, oh, you can apply for an exemption. I mean, that's bad policy. You know, if you're going to have a flaw, there shouldn't be a process to apply for exemption. We should be setting it properly so that that is absolutely the flaw and that we are, as a society, are happy with whatever job losses there are and we have the social security to pick up those people who lose their jobs as a result. I mean, that's what what our policy's got to be. We've got to provide the welfare for those that lose it, uh, their jobs, and we must make sure that we don't lose too many jobs. But central to this will be the affordability, and you say in Brazil that it happened at a time when their economy was growing, but ours, on the other hand, there are all sorts of indicators and we talk about them every day, it doesn't look that way. Well, that's right. And every situation is different. I mean, I'd like to point out that one of um, uh, President Lula's advisors, um, his economic advisors, was actually one of the people that helped write gear. So, you know, here we have a left-wing economist who actually looked at the situation in South Africa back in the mid-90s and said, you can't just expand. So, you know, whereas he was able to go in Brazil and say, well, this is the moment to do it. So, you're right. We have to look at what, where are we now, and what's the best policy for us to be doing now, and what should the level of that minimum wage be? Uh, uh, Rao is back then. And, uh, you were talking about perhaps a wrong time to raise this discussion, Mr. Rao. Absolutely, but I think the previous speaker has captured that point very well, that we, we can only consider these types of discussions at higher levels of employment, substantially higher levels of employment, and higher levels of economic growth than we're currently experiencing. The other uh, issue around our policy direction and our policy decisions is we need to be very clear about sending a consistent uh, message to business. Now, the current line of thinking is that to address our employment challenge, we need to empower SMEs, we need to have assistance grow, and we would create substantial levels of employment through small and medium enterprises. And in our BRICS discussions recently, that was one of the themes that came up, and other countries shared on a limited basis their experiences in that regard, and it was generally agreed that that's the way to go. Now, if we are going to introduce a minimum 
wage level, uh, irrespective of what it is, which is a, a completely separate discussion uh, at this point, it is going to inhibit the capacity of those SMEs to employ in substantial numbers. It's a further obstacle, a further deterrent, uh, a further cause for reticence in employment among small and medium enterprises because they are very price sensitive in terms of labor costs. And they have, to, they have to be flexible, they have to be lean, they have to be able to compete with much larger enterprises. So every cost factor is critical. And if we are going to look to small and medium enterprises to create jobs, a minimum wage would be a deterrent to that. And that is just one point of inconsistency, a policy inconsistency that would come about uh, and, and would create confusion amongst businesses as to whether we want to create jobs or whether we want to look to uh, uh, improving the circumstances of existing workers to a greater level. Uh, and unfortunately, in these current economic circumstances, there are many trade-offs between those two issues. And we need to be clear as a nation as to where we want to go with it. But, but what about businesses' responsibility again, Mr. Rao? Because I see some SMSs, for instance, are saying, how about capping the maximum then? Uh, because we have a situation where executives are earning uh, much, much more than what an ordinary worker is earning. Well, certainly in many countries, that is an issue that is being considered. In South Africa, this is a discussion that's come about on occasion, but it's progressed very far. But one of the points that one has to be sensitive to is that in a recent assessment of our labor market by the World Economic Forum, the 2012-2013 report, um, out of 144 countries, South Africa ranked very low on almost all the key measures that we use to assess the labor market. Those include pay and productivity. Uh, those include uh, ability to hire and fire. Those include uh, the relationship between employer and employee. So we have to be sensitive to what global executives are saying about our country because we need their interest, we need their investment in South Africa to create jobs. And if they see any of our actions as creating a less competitive labor market, a more stringent labor market, a harsher environment in which to operate in, then they're not going to be looking at South Africa as an investment destination and consequently we are not going to gain the job that we could okay. potentially have gained if they had... If All right, Mr. Elsley, uh, perhaps indirectly then we'll be destroying the, the jobs. Well, you know, people talk of a trade-off, and, I mean, everything has a cost. The professor points out um, that it has an economic cost, but everything has an economic cost, and we make decisions nonetheless. I mean, I think, Paulani, if the question is, would a national minimum wage solve our socio-economic problems... Mm. I think the answer is no. I think at the same time it could benefit a great many workers. I think at least two of the speakers agree, though, that we're not just talking about a, a, a national minimum wage, that it will, be, it will be part of a wage policy. And that is very important. That um, I mean, the professor talked about um, raising social security, in a sense raising the social wage, um, and that these have, can have quite powerful economic effects. And we're looking at you know, dimensions like health, education, transport, I would include communications. I mean, I think the very poor sort of ICT penetration in this country is a, a drastic error on our part. We've commodified it to a point where we don't see it as grease, something that greases the wheels. We're selling the grease. Um, and I think the key, though, is the complementary strategy uh, and that there's some very hard questions and policies and actions to be taken around education and training, new technology, because I think... Economy, you know, the question of timing, we must wait for a good time. And, I mean, my personal experience of life is that there's hardly ever the right time mm. to do things. 
and one has to make decisions. And, I mean, there's also questions around, you know, social and political sustainability. You can't just pretend that everything is a XY axis graph with a trade-off um, and we make the most sort of cost-effective decision. Um, society is a lot more complicated than that. And we need to bring the people along with our thinking and action around the economy. And, and if we were to, to consider your, your, your route then, Mr. Esley, what it all means is that it will take a long time before we actually come to some sort of... Because if you think about um, uh, transport, uh, public health, and, and, and other things that we're supposed to fix, um, it won't be up until... Because Kosato, for instance, has said that the national minimum wage must be introduced by 2014. That's a bit of a rush then. Well, I think individual um, in, individual items can be implemented in, you know, within our lifetime, Polani. I think the question of shifting this economy in a fundamental way is a slightly longer-term one. You know, even, I think, educational out, outcomes, which are key. You know, we talk a lot about education, but it feels a little bit hollow. Mm. Um, I think the fact that we have a massive people out there with incomplete secondary education is a, is a fundamental problem, and it's the kind of thing that keeps us in this sort of, as much as we sometimes look like a middle-income developing economy, there's another face of our economy, which is quite different. It's a low-wage, low-productivity economy, and there's some politically unpalatable things we might have to do to really shift that. In other words, when I say politically unpalatable, I mean that they will take, they will take time, and the question is who's got the stomach for that, and how do we implement along the way? Kalani, can I comment on this? Yeah, Mr. Coleman, because I was going to ask you as well about where do we peg it. Yeah, comment. Yeah, no, no. You know, asking employers to 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 support a minimum wage is like asking turkeys to vote for Christmas. I mean, they're never going to say it's a good time, clearly, uh, because they're in a individual employers love a situation where they can pay pay what they like. But the point is that it's in a in a situation that we have in South Africa today, which was, by the way, the sort of situation they had in Brazil. Uh, Nikli Natchez is completely incorrect. The economy was in a downward spiral, actually, when Lula took over. And they intervened deliberately to, to change the trajectory of that economy and had a major, major impact. So we have to be bold in our interventions, obviously not reckless. The question of the level at which this should be pegged is a debate which needs to take place in society. There needs to be research. But as Trenton said, it's not simply about a graph. It's actually about people being able to live. So we need to speak to people about what their absolute basic needs are. And people are being hit hard by uh, food increases, uh, fuel increases, etc. And who are the people who are hit hardest by these things? It's the, it's the very poor in society. Mm. And it's those poor workers who, in the end, actually have to support the, the, the unemployed. Sure. So this really is a, a, a basic uh, safety net for, for the very lowest paid. In, in, but Mr. In, in Coleman, your, your argument presupposes that business opposes it simply because it wants to make profits and that the, the, uh, there is no merit in terms of an argument that says, for instance, uh, what happens to a small business that is supposed to create the very employment? Yeah, there, there is no merit, uh, Kalani, because ultimately an individual employer if you allow them to, will 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 disregard all health and safety standards. Will disregard uh, any reasonable uh, level of existence for for their workers, etc. I'm not saying all employers, but there will always be those employers out there who will always say it's not low enough. So it's the job of a national wage policy to say that it's in the interests of everybody in society that people, that that workers who work hard for a living don't live in dire poverty. I think that must be an absolute absolute basic basic uh, uh, presumption. But sure. In terms of the level at which it's set, 
you know, there's a, a big debate amongst economists internationally, and the traditional, the conservative economists uh, have always argued that there's a trade-off between minimum wages and employment. But actually, that's no longer accepted, and the dominant view is that minimum wages don't uh, have a major cost. And this, this was uh, endorsed by over 650 economists in the United States in 2006, including five Nobel Prize-winning economists, has been endorsed by organizations such as the OECD, the ILO, and even the World Bank now, now recognizes this. So right, but Sorry, it's it's obviously about how you manage the process, sure. to manage it in a, in, a, in a responsible and structured way, uh, yes. but not to con- constantly avoid it by saying it's not the right time. As, mm. as Trenton said, it will never be the right time. Professor, I just want to know whether you endorse, though, that view that, that perhaps uh, when companies argue that uh, this is likely to destroy jobs, they're just arguing because they want to make more profit. Is there yes, no merit yes. in that argument, Professor? Uh, Professor Natras? Are you asking me? Yes, or I'm now? asking you, <laughs> Professor. No, um, look, it, it, it all depends on the level, right? So if you double a minimum wage, you're obviously going to get an employment effect. The studies which have looked at minimum wages in general, which um, Ms. Coleman's talking about, are studies in general do minimum wages that are actually set in existing countries have much of an employment effect. And there's a sort of a debate in the literature, but what's completely clear is that they're not massive, right? Because most of the time, the minimum wages are minimum wages. In our country, the discourse is one of doubling, tripling, quadrupling, and it all just seems so immensely unreasonable. And therefore, I'm not surprised that businesses are deeply alarmed okay. because they hear the discourse and they're thinking the and this is going to be a massive increase. So, you know, the, the, it's really what is the level. Talking but, about? Sec- but secondly, well, that, the discourse you hear in the, in the figures of, um, that are bandied around in the debate are, are huge, 4,000, 6,000. These are big increases over what are effectively our minimum All wages. Right. So, so in other words, the answer will lie in, 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 the, min- in, in the wage itself, in, in where we peg it. That's right, but there's another dimension too, which is really important to think about with relation to Brazil. Brazil and the rest of Latin America have got a big informal sector, which means that when a firm can't pay the minimum wage, they become informal. They basically go, they, they, they work below the radar screen and nobody goes after them. They accept the existence of the informal sector. In our country, we go after the informal sector. We, the bargaining councils go out there. They shut down people who don't pay the minimum wage. We've got inspectors. So if we don't go for minimum wage, we will see a large effect of unemployment if it's a big increase, Mm -hmm. unless we allow the informal sector to grow. And that's going to be our big challenge. And if we do, we're going to create a culture within our business community where it's okay not to pay the minimum wage and you just define yourself as informal, which, of course, is what happens in Brazil and all of Latin Sorry, America. Sorry, I have to correct it. Again, Nikki is completely distorting the Brazilian experience. Those 17 million jobs that I spoke to you about are formal sector jobs. And they have a process of formalizing the informal sector in Brazil. The informal sector is shrinking and the formal sector is growing. So she's, again, completely misrepresenting the reality there. No, the, the point the, is the, the informal the, sector the, the minimum wage as a part of a broader net, process. So you can grow the jobs in the formal sector without ra- raising unemployment. Whereas in our country, we able to hear when you do people. that, you raise unemployment because there's no other sector for the workers to go right. into. And, and I'm but not just talking about Brazilian experience, actually. Con- all, right, all right, let me ask you, the, the, both of you, just hold your thoughts around there. I would like us to continue with that particular point. Uh, and also open the lines, by the way, on 0891 
wait. I have a lot of SMSs that have come through. But I need to take my updates now. I'm going to go to the newsroom uh, and uh, go to Come and Ready, who's standing by with the latest news. The subject under discussion this morning, national minimum wage. How will it assist us? We're taking your thoughts now on 891 My guest, Neil Coleman, is with COSATU. Trenton Elsley is with the, the Labor Research Service. He's actually the executive director there. Uh, Nikoli Natras, professor of economics at the University of Cape Town. Nareen Rao, chief executive officer, SA Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Nareen needs to, to go. Uh, and I'm going to get a last comment from Nareen now. Uh, Nareen, uh, you wanted to give me your last comment before you go. Yes, um, the first point that one must find, one takes this debate to a national level, to the highest level. Businesses are of the realization that the, the more consumers are paid, the more workers are paid, the more money flows in the economy and the better it is for business. And that's the difficult circumstance we're facing right now. We're dealing with large levels of unemployment. There isn't enough money circulating in the economy Absolutely. to trigger higher levels of economic activity. So that, that's the first realization that business is clearly aware of and any decisions we make will be seen in that context. So individual businesses, they have to manage the costs, but certainly at a higher level, there is a realization that we need to try to support higher levels of compensation, and that has a positive consequence for business. So to to argue otherwise would be foolish. It's it's an economic fact which we appreciate uh, on any given day. The second point I want to raise is that during the course of this debate, we are looking at the employed and improving the, the lives of the employed, which, as I just said, we do support as business. We want people to earn better and live better lives and have a better quality of life. Uh, that helps us as business. But the second point that we're missing clearly is what about the unemployed? If we introduce a, a minimum wage level, uh, and if you that, that has consequences for the unemployed in terms of their uh, prospects, their job prospects, I think you'll find that they are unlikely to support a, a minimum wage proposal if there are adverse consequences, and, and that's an aspect that has not been addressed. Of course, these issues can be addressed in the design of the policy, but these are enormously complex issues, and I, don't, I think the design will take a long time if we are going to try to overcome these issues. Right, I'm going to let you go, and I'm going to ask my other guests to respond to that. I thank you very much for your time, though, this morning. Uh, Narun Rao, Chief Executive Officer of SA Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Uh, uh, Mr. Elsley, just your response to the entry, then. Does it close the door on those who are still out there unemployed? I don't think it does. I, I think, you know, look, the grain of truth in it. Um, the fact is, however, that we cannot reduce this equation to that. We've had... You know, it's referred to often as structural unemployment, and it says something about the structure of this economy. And to simplify the prospects of employment to just simply this or that action is, is I think, really um, an unfortunate oversimplification of things. And I just wanted to make one final point, yeah. which is quite interesting in a way. There's a kind of role, interesting role-play shift going on here, because by proposing a minimum wage to start to organize labor, fact exercising a kind of economic discipline. Because what this does, in a way, is, yes, it does put pressure on low-productivity formal sector enterprises. It will put pressure on them. Those who can move into higher productivity um, type, type activity, they will survive. But those that cannot are not. So, in a way, it is a measure of it would weed out those enterprises and businesses that simply are too marginal to survive. And, I mean, this is a role of... Economists would take an economy when they talk in very Darwinian terms about you know, a process of natural selection and, and let the strong survive. And 
and the weak fall. Um, so that's an interesting shift. Um, but the need for complementary policies is crucial. Otherwise, it is really quite, quite a brutal potentially quite a brutal process with, with um, quite serious implications that's a very important say, point. for real people. But that's a very interesting and important point you're making there because then is that what we want though? We, do we want to be brutal to those who are marginal in this society where we are urging people to come on, start their own little businesses? Kalani, can I, can I pick up on this? Uh, uh, okay, let me ask Mr. Elsley just to respond. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a chance as well, Ms. Coleman. The point I was making is that we mustn't just talk about the national minimum wage. We must. I don't think we should fixate on the level. It's obviously it's important. It's something to be talked about. But the need for complementary policies is important. And when I'm talking about, I'll talk about marginal enterprises. But we're also trying to talk about marginal people. Okay. I don't think we can starve ourselves to full employment. Right, fair enough. Uh, you say that then uh, uh, those who obviously will have to close down will have to be catered for by other policies elsewhere. You wanted to make a quick comment before I go to the lines, Mr. Cole? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think the underlying point that Trenton and, and, and others have made is that there's no mechanical relationship between the question of a minimum wage and the employment performance of the economy or a sector. You know, the, the DPRU Institute at the UCT studied uh, the effect of sexual determinations between 2001 and 7, and they found actually that there was a net increase of 650,000 jobs after the introduction of minimum wage. But some sectors, for example, the farming sector, actually lost jobs. Now, the, 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 the loss or gain of jobs is not directly related to the minimum wage. Um, as Naren uh, uh, Rao said, the... the the overall performance of the economy, if there's increased demand as a result of uh, increased wages, as we saw in Brazil, can have a very beneficial effect on the economy. But you've got to look at other policies, such, such as industrial policy, sectoral and trade policies, our macroeconomic policies, etc., in combination with a national wage policy. So we, we shouldn't take the, the impact, the economic impact of the minimum wage in isolation from, from these other factors. But you know, responding to something that Nicolee said, you know, some countries, including the Brazilian example that I spoke about, saw massive, massive real increases in the minimum wages. China has now deliberately increased the wage levels of, of workers in that country because they can no longer rely on the export-led strategy. Okay. They're trying to stimulate domestic demand. And the, the wages of Chinese workers have increased over three times, over 300% between 2000 and 2011 in other countries in Asia as well. So these are deliberate economic policies okay that countries have adopted together with other, as I said, industrial, sectoral, and macroeconomic policies. Prof, I'm going to take your views in a minute, but let me go to the lines. Yavjin Town, been holding for a while. Good morning. Thank you for your uh, time. Good morning, Karani, and good morning to your guests. Yeah, thanks. I fully support the introduction of a minimum wage, uh, but there are provisors. We must look at uh, the way we uh, impose taxation in this country. We've got to offset minimum wages with uh, shifting tax away from value-added, that is VAT, mm-hmm. and income tax to a transaction tax. And we can achieve this through a levy on all financial transactions. In addition, we could introduce a land tax, which is based on the land value, uh, you know, on the tax on the land value itself. But what I want to say, we can also look at raising the floor through a universal basic income, that a basic income that goes to all citizens, employed and unemployed, as another intervention to prevent destitution and to increase aggregate demand in this country. In addition, we have to look at import tariffs and you know, protectionist policies for our, to nurture our local industries.
You know what, Judge, uh, and somebody just uh, who was listening and uh, will simply say, but do we have enough money to do all these things that you're talking about? We have plenty of money. Is this that we are not, uh, our tax system is such that people in the, in the corporate sector, the banking sector, are getting away with massive tax avoidance. People are shifting money uh, offshore all the time instead of reinvesting in this country. We've got speculative capital that's wreaking havoc with our currency. We've got a very unstable, uh, you know, uh, rand uh, exchange value, mm-hmm. and it, it's, it's causing havoc for productive enterprise. People cannot plan correctly when the rand is fluctuating at the way it does. So we need to look at taxing speculation, but not taxing productive investment and enterprise. All right, Yaj in Cape Town. Thank you, Prof. Uh, do you want to comment on that? I think that there certainly is a role for um, a taxing speculation and a tax on financial transactions. Um, I don't think that's going to necessarily allow us to introduce a minimum wage, though. I think that that's just one of many potential policies. Um, on the issue of aggregate demand, which means increasing spending, people always say the minimum wage helps with that. Well, the easiest way to boost spending is actually to give money to the poor without imposing costs on business, and that would be raising, say, value-added tax and having a basic income grant. That would be the the much cleaner and most efficient way of boosting aggregate demand. The trouble with using the minimum wage to do it is you also oppose costs on business. And I'd like to just quickly correct uh, Neil Coleman's interpretation of that research from UCT. That research has been heavily criticized for looking only at the non-tradable sectors. It's basically pushed mostly by um, jobs that are in protected parts of the economy, notably public sector wages and the like, and that if you look at um, where minimum wages have really bitten, it's where we've got trade coming in. So, for no, example, no, uh, clothing and, and agriculture. Yeah. No, I don't know what you're talking There are no sexual determinations in the public sector. No, look the point is that particular piece of research... That you were quoting does not distinguish properly between tradable and non-tradable, and that's the trouble, and that's why it's been very heavily criticised as being um, a statement that you could say holds true across the country, because it doesn't. Right, but I want to go back to, to the issue that you were talking about, uh, that uh, in, in order to, to deal with demand and so on, that at least uh, use uh, treasury, if I may say so, increase grants, give the, the, the unemployment grant and so on. W- what's the difference? Why not charge it from the employers? Prof? Well, because you are then, of course, potentially causing the employers to shed labor. I mean, the way that we get, you know, the, the, the earlier speaker said, if you push up the wage, you get higher productivity. That's true in the sense that when you push up the wage, people shed jobs. They shed jobs, so therefore the ratio of the, they make the, the, low, the, the remaining workers work harder, they buy machinery, we become more capital intensive, but we don't produce any jobs, and that's, that's really the problem. Um, if you push up the wage, you do boost your demand, but you're also shedding jobs. And if you don't do something to catch those workers through welfare or allow them to go into the informal sector, i.e. small businesses that don't have to pay those minimum wages, we're going to worsen our social um, inequality. Okay. I know that Neil doesn't agree with that. Neil, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to okay. express your views on that. But let me take some more calls. Michael in Cape Town. Hello, Michael. Morning. Yeah, hi. Michael, go ahead, please. If I lost Michael. All right, let me go to Ivo in Durban. Ivo, good morning. Oh, uh, good morning to Holly. Hi, welcome. First of all, I want to just say that 33% of, of, of South African's population is running this country. Okay. Secondly, the government destroyed all infrastructure in a way to, to what they've done at the moment. They've taken far, good farming away and have destroyed employment. 
Secondly, thirdly, I want to say, if you take a drive from Bethlehem through on the R26 right through to Cape Town, all the little towns have been destroyed. Okay, you get 9,000 black people in, in uh, Aberdeen, 1,000 whites, no jobs, all living on the door. Okay, get a subsidy. Right. I'm not sure about the first point, though, about 33% of the people run this country. Where, where does it come from? Well, that was statistics. It was, it was 20, I'm just saying, it was 27. 20, uh, 33% of the people in this country are paying taxes. Only the poor pay taxes of 14% VAT. Mm. They are also getting robbed. Okay? All right. All right. Now, 33% of people are paying taxes in this country. Mm-hmm. And also, if, if we put, if this government... They, they, they take and they attack the mining, all enterprises, private companies to try and solve the problem. But if they had to take the money that they are getting in this country and, and, and put it back into creating jobs, like creating the farms in, in small rural areas, creating jobs, opportunities in small areas, keeping upgrading the rural area and, and sustaining it so that people do not fluctuate into the city. The cities cannot carry this anymore. All right, Ivo. I thank you. You know, you've made your point. Thank you very much. I'll take more calls, by the way. 0891-104-208. 0891-104-208. Let me read some emails. There's one from Nancy who says the problem of the minimum uh, and maximum wages is only one, partly one of economics. Uh, more importantly, right now, it is a question of national social stability. Wage inequality is simply a recipe for disaster, as we saw in Marikana and the Duarans. Uh, if we don't address the question of wage inequalities, then our economy will lose anyway because South Africa will continue to be an unreliable investment destination. It is better to work with moderate union proposals than face the massive unrest that will continue to intensify if we don't listen to them. And, and it, I think it's a, a very important background that Nancy is giving here. Uh, if I, I may come to you, Elsley, again, because part of this discussion also has a lot to do with what happened last year in terms of the labor unless, unrest, both in the mines and, and also on the farms. Well, I don't know that it did, Polani. I think what all this unrest showed in a way was how this change our positions. I think it just exposed the kind of polarization of what's at work and what's to be done. Um, you know, and I sometimes they sometimes talk of a you know the need for a social compact or contract in this country, but I think anyone who's paying attention has a sense that the grounds for that are very infertile. For 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 a social compact. Right. Uh, let me go to Michael and Keaton on the line. Michael? Hi. Yeah, hi. Sorry, um, you got cut off. Yeah, a couple of comments. If we look at where we're starting from, under our existing minimum wage um, dispensation, which is created through Section 32 of the Labor Relations Act by extending um, agreements and bargaining councils to non-parties, we're sitting with... Um, with our various minimum wages set in the, in the various sectors of the formal sector, we're looking at five to seven million unemployed South Africans at the moment, who the law effectively makes it illegal for them to sell. They clearly can't get a job at the current minimum wage, and the law makes it effectively illegal for them to sell their labor at a, a price where they have a realistic chance of getting it. This, so, so that's where we're starting at. And if we're going to start pushing up our minimum wages, we can expect that five to seven million increase. The other point is that the moment that one starts talking about minimum wages, we're actually saying, um, in a nutshell, that the market-related wage is insufficient and that we need to pay a social wage on top of the market-related wage. But we have to remember that a business's um, model for sustainability only functions at the market-related wage. And if we say that a business must be obliged because it's, it's, it's sustainable,
sustainability model will only sustain a certain market-related wage, but that we as a, as a society say that that is insufficient and that there must be a social wage paid on top of that, obviously that, that business model is not going to function. And the great mistake that we're making with this whole minimum wage argument is saying that the social wage, which is a socially determined thing, it's got nothing to do with economic viability or business viability. It is something that we as a society make a subjective statement about. We are, we are making the mistake of saying that businesses must pay a social wage where the, we say that the market relay w- w- wage is insufficient. Right, Michael, uh, let me thank you very much. I've lost one of the lines. Uh, I hope it's not uh, uh, Neil Coleman. Who I would like to, uh, Neil, I would like you to respond to what Michael is saying. Ooh, I've lost all, all, all uh, those lines there. We're going to try and get them back in a minute. But Mike and Newlands are still on the line for me. Mike, good morning. Hello, good morning, Scott. Anyway, yeah, interesting debate. I just wanted to say, I wish we had your chaps on the line. I've just passed what I counted. Something about 96 people here on the side of the road in Rosmead Avenue here in Cape Town. Now, I promise you, I could employ these people tomorrow. I couldn't pay them a lot, maybe about 80, 90 rand an hour. I can make a product that will sell into Europe. It's subsequently currently made in Singapore. But I, if I start having to pay minimum wages, my product becomes unsaleable. These people are unemployable, and I can't make a living. So they're going to remain on the side of the road, and I'm going to be unable to employ people and generate to the fiscus of the country. And the bottom line is we cannot middle or meddle, uh, uh, Scalani, with what the, the, the market will pay overseas. There's always going to be somebody who can make a product cheaper than we can. We need to be competitive, and the government cannot be in a position to prevent these guys I just passed. And Scalani, I know, if I get out of my car and I ask them, and I'll say to them, will you work today for 80 rand? I can promise you there will be not one there that says no to me. Mm. So, you know, it's unfair for these people to be excluded from the economy of the market on a minimum wage basis. And also, just quickly, I want to take issue with that statement the one gentleman made about employers will want to get away with everything. I employed 170 people for 30 years. I was a top pay in my wages. And you know why? Because I needed the best people for the job, and I ran a very profitable company on that basis. All right, Thanks Mark and Newlands, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, Neil Coleman is on the line. He's back on the line. Neil, uh, I don't know if you got what Mike has got uh, to say. Michael in particular, earlier on, and Mike. Yeah, sorry, Kalani. I, I was actually cut off a couple of times, so I've, I've heard I've heard little bits and pieces. Yeah, it's a similar argument, though, about the markets uh, from both Michael and Mike. Yeah, you know, I think Naren Rao made the point very powerfully. You know, he said that when 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 uh, uh, workers are able to spend more money in the economy, that's a huge benefit to employers. So employers must make their choice. They must either decide, look, we're going to support a a cheap labour, low wage economy like we had it under apartheid. Or we're actually going to try and develop and grow and, and move up the, the, the value chain as they, as, as they've done in numerous other countries. And, uh, so I think, you know, when, when President Lula spoke to, to, to us in December, what he said, he put it in very simple terms. He said that when the Brazilians, when they started to raise the living standards of the poor and to spend on the poor, the giant wheels of the Brazilian economy started turning. And when those giant wheels started turning, uh, people were consuming and they were able to produce uh, for, 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 for that consumption, etc. So it's all part of one giant sort of ecosystem, if you like. So we've got to look at this uh, at a macro level. We can't look at it in terms of individual employers' experiences because that, that, those can relate to a whole range of uh, issues, including bad management, they're uncompetitive uh, because they're using the wrong technology, uh, lack of training. You know, we can, we'll go round and round if we pursue that debate. All right. Uh, I'm going to read the SMSs, but let me take Hassan on the line here in Johannesburg. Hassan, are you there? Good morning. Hi. Yeah, hi. Kalani, one will be forgiven uh, to, to 
realize if you come in from somewhere else and enter this discussion, mm. you'll be surprised to know we are talking about human beings and human dignity. I've never heard, besides Neil Coleman and maybe the other guy from LRS, a discussion that this improves the lives of people. It seems it's a technical mechanism. This, people can't live in dignity when they don't have the basics. So clearly, you know, everyone has to come to the party. All right. Fair enough. Hassan, thank you very much. Some SMSs for you. Um, somebody says, one of your guests says, China increased wages 300% between 2000 and 2011. Uh, can you explain how in 2011 China paid 80 US dollars per month and we were paying 80 US dollars per week in the same industry? That's Denton in Durban. Do you know anything about that, Mr. Coleman? Well, I mean, he's, 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 uh, he's throwing figures around. I think... Uh, the, the issue is that in an economy, they were able to increase wages by 300% over, over a decade and to manage to continue to grow and, and to develop and create employment. That's the issue. It's based, it's, 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 the issue is what their, what their base was. The same, in, the same in Brazil. I mean, in Brazil now we can say their national minimum wage is the equivalent of 3,000 rand a month. But, you know, you can't mechanically compare uh, uh, different countries. We're talking about the overall economic trajectory and the role that the minimum wage has played in that, in, in that society. All right. There's an SMS as well, uh, perhaps for you, Prof, yeah, that says the description of the Brazilian context as described by Professor Natras is very, very misleading. I spent a lot of time studying the Brazilian experience, spent time with the Workers' Party, etc. Coleman's view is correct, um, but it goes on to say, uh, Nikoli is also a consultant uh, to business and uh, an independent analyst. Um, well, you'll respond to this. That's Zane in Johannesburg. Also, the work ethic in China is completely different to that of South Africa. It is a known fact that the Chinese workers work very hard and South Africans not. That's Lauren. In South Africa, lots of people employed by households, those people will lose their jobs. Gardeners, domestic workers, etc., babysitters uh, will lose their jobs as an SMS. Now, workers organize themselves outside the bargaining structures of unions and government. They see the unfairness. That's why, Marikana, something's got to give. Uh, if you allow committees to pay CEOs package is compared to US, Australia, New Zealand, UK, and workers like, for instance, in Zimbabwe, with all due respect, something is going to give. That's according to Rowan. Uh, business is there to make a profit, not just to create jobs, says uh, another SMS. If they are not allowed to profit, then you are promoting socialism. If so, take away blatant demand uh, and companies' huge salaries and cars. Russia and other socialist countries are collapsing in favor of capitalism, uh, also coming through from Durban there. Uh, will the speakers please exercise discipline in allowing each other to finish. All right, somebody um, um, raising a point of order there. Mervyn, though, says minimum wage is a fallacy. We need jobs to build the country. Everybody needs to make sacrifices in order to develop this country. Demand misplace, not appropriate now, Mervyn. I support national minimum wage uh, policy, but so long as the relationship between productivity and remuneration doesn't exist. What's the point? Matome Rangata uh, in Johannesburg. Prof, respond to this, if you may, just uh, this point being made quite repeatedly about the relationship between productivity and remuneration. What point exactly? Uh, productivity and remuneration. That uh, What happens to productivity once you put a minimum wage? Do, are you worried about that? No, you do raise productivity. That's exactly what you do in the sense that you have fewer workers for the same amount of output because um, people, people, the firms will fire the workers and buy machinery, right? So that's very nice for those 
those jo- those workers with more capital to play with and higher productivity and higher wages. But can, the I, real ask question you, is, can I ask on a question? Average oh, in the okay. country, All right, I'm going to come to you, Neil. Can I ask Nicola a question? All right, just no, you, can you just let me finish? Yeah, How about please. that? Let's listen I'd to like one to of those. And I was asked a question about productivity. And the real problem is, in this country, we've got lots and lots of unskilled labor. And for those people, we need to have low productivity jobs too. So the way we need to stop, we need to stop talking as an either or, because ultimately we need to have high productivity, high wage jobs, but we also need to allow low productivity, low wage sectors to exist at the same time in order to absorb the unskilled labor. Otherwise, we're just going to have growing unemployment. All right. Uh, uh, Let me read this SMS for you, Neil Coleman, and then you can ask your question. It says, minimum wage will only encourage laziness. People will sit around unproductive while paid fully at the end of the month. It's from Olani in Pumalanga. Respond to this email, but also ask the question you wanted to ask. Yeah, the que- I mean, the, the question is simple. You know, I mean, uh, uh, Nikli um, is actually advocating the, the reduction in, in poverty wages in the clothing, in the clothing sector. Um, if, if she's arguing that, that, that the increase in the minimum wages lead to increase in productivity and loss in jobs, how was it in Brazil that you had an 81% increase in real wages, not nominal wages, real wages after inflation, and at the same time, an increase in 17 million jobs in the economy. What she's talking about is voodoo economics. It simply is not supported by by reality. Prof, prof, uh, response? I mean, this whole thing about Brazil is just ridiculous because the way that, that what really got the Brazilian economy booming was two things. One was they increased the entire spectrum of, of wage of money to the poor, including all the grants. That's what really drove demand. And secondly, all of this was happening at a time when growth was booming internationally. So you can do it then. That, that actually makes sense, although now Brazil's got a bit of a problem and is having to cut back because the global economy has stagnated. So we're going to be in that position. So just because they managed to do it by boosting wages and a whole raft of other things, and, and, and push jobs up in the face of a booming world economy okay. doesn't mean that we can replicate those policies right now here in South Africa. Neil, timing was important. Yeah, Kalani, it's about, it's about your growth path. You know, in Brazil, after the economic crisis in 2008, even though their economy contracted by 0.3 of a percent, they still created over 1 million jobs in 2009. And that's simply because the way in which their economy is developing um, bringing uh, people, poor people into the economy, giving them uh, consumer power and producing the goods that people are consuming, that is the way in which the economy is generating employment. Okay. And we need to look at those things. We can't right. always say it's not the right time because right. then we'll never do anything. I need to wrap up, but I need to make a promise and perhaps also get you both to promise that we'll, we'll, we'll have a discussion about learnings from Brazil because it has come through a number of times before where we've spoken about this sure. and over and again people tend to point to Brazil and say perhaps we should do what they are doing. Prof, is that a, is that a fair suggestion? Sure. Okay, fantastic. I will wrap it up at this time. Nikoli Natras, Professor of Economics at the University of Cape Town. also would like to thank Neil Coleman. Uh, he is with Kasatu. A little earlier on, I was joined by Nerin Rao, Chief Executive Officer of SA Chamber of Commerce and Industry, and Trenton Elsley, Executive Director of Labor Research Services. I thank you all for your time this morning. I would really like to thank you for listening to our program today, uh, but also contributing uh, through SMSs, emails, and calls. would like to thank our team, our producers, Misho Shandlale, Tracy Bumgard, Ronald Piri, and Thank you very much.
would like to thank our senior producers Longile Mabaso and Zinat Abdul, uh, technical producer President Machaya today, forum producer Jake Mukoma, pr- uh, chief producer Butzilukoto, executive producers Busi Chane and Obuse Chia. My name is Olani Gwala. I shall be back reporting for you again 6 to 9 tomorrow. You have a fantastic day ahead coming up at 9 o'clock the news. Cheers. <laughs>